0: night my wife and I got dressed up Uh, Real fancy for a date night uh, to go to the Hope Women's Center banquet. Hope Women's Center, if you don't know, is an organization that we partner with as a church that serves women in our city, across our city, who are thinking about having a baby but are in difficult circumstances, who just had a baby but are in difficult circumstances. And Hope Women's Center comes around uh, those women and those families and helps support those families so they can raise a child up and support them in tangible ways, but also in spiritual ways it's phenomenal what they do and we're grateful to partner with them and they have a banquet once a year to raise money my wife and I got invited it's a a nice event we got dressed up nice and just as we're about to walk out the door we even took a picture (laughs) I get a phone call from a friend you see my seven-year-old daughter wasn't at our house she was at a friend's house and we get a phone call from that friend he knows what we're doing so this is not going to be good right Uh, But he says, hey, you might want to come get uh, V and take her to urgent care. Not good, right? It just keeps getting worse. And uh, because she fell out of the trampoline and her face connected with the ground and it is bleeding very badly. And so the short story of what I want to tell you is my wife and I got dressed up not to go to a banquet, but to urgent care. (laughs) Okay, that's, that's what happened, and uh, we never made it to the banquet. We were at urgent care, and I was holding my seven-year-old daughter, watching them put shots in my baby girl, and then watching them sew up my baby girl, and like, it, was, it was awful for me. She did a great job, but dad was not doing well, right? And here's what we did. Before they started sewing her up, we, we took a picture of what it looked like. And some of you who don't have kids are like, that's weird. Like, you gotta just make the most of this, right? And so we, a lot of our kids have had stitches at different times. We always take a before and after picture, right? So we took this before picture of like this hole in her face and just everybody take a breath. I'm not gonna show it to you. I don't want everybody throwing up today, okay? <laughs> I, don't, I have a picture, but I'm not gonna show it to you right now. We took a picture of the hole in her face and then afterwards we took a picture of it being sewed up or sewn up. And guess what? they were dramatically different from one another, right? There was a before picture and there was an after picture and the difference was clear. Now, why do I tell you that? Well, one, pray for my baby girl that she would continue to heal, right? But also because... Sometimes in the Christian life and sometimes what we see in the Bible is when someone meets Jesus, there is a clear before and there is a clear after. You can see what they were doing in their past and then you can see how their present is radically transformed by the grace of Christ. And they don't even look the same at all. And I think one of the the biggest examples of that is the Apostle Paul, the author of Galatians that he literally had his name changed. Some of you know in in Acts, he had Saul, and then he was converted to Paul when he met Jesus. And, And he has this radical transformation, killing Christians and not just becoming a Christian, but helping other people become a Christian. That's his before and after. And so Paul is going to share his story with you of his before and after. And we're gonna see how his story impacts our story, his story of transformation. How can it show us what to look for to see if our lives have been transformed? So that's where we're headed. So we're gonna read all of his story and I'll tell you on the front end, it's a lot. He gets into some geographical places. He gets into some nitty gritty detail because he wants you to see this is like a real person, real places and a real life changed by the gospel. And as you, as you get distracted, as I read this, I want you to remind yourself, hey, what is this teaching me about my story? What is Paul's story? How does it connect to my story? Okay, so let's read it together and see what God would have for us. Galatians 1, starting in verse 11. It says this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the tradition of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Cephas and remained with him 15 days but I saw none of the other apostles except James the Lord's brother and what I'm writing to you before God I do not lie then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ they were only hearing it said he used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorified God because of me Then after 14 years, I did go up to Jerusalem again with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised though he was a Greek or a Gentile. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them, we did not yield in submission for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seemed to be influential, what they were makes no difference to to me. God shows no partiality. I just love Paul. Uh, Those I say who seemed influential add nothing to me. Verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted to the gospel to the circumcised... All right, I know there was a lot there, a lot of parenthetical sidebars, did you catch that? That is a mouthful from Paul. So this is his story, and what do we learn about his story? Uh, Backtrack with me to verses 11 and 12 at the beginning. Notice what he says, key phrases, not man's gospel. Then verse 12, the contrast, a revelation of Jesus Christ. He expounds again in verse 12, I did not receive it from any man. I was not taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Why is Paul being so adamant multiple times, repeating himself over and over to make it clear that this gospel that he's proclaiming and has proclaimed to the Galatian people is not from man? you have to understand some context. We talked about this last week. Chapter one, verse seven, Paul talks about that there were some who were troubling the Galatian people and distorting or perverting the gospel of grace. See, the reality is there was these people that were infiltrating these Galatian churches and they were saying all kinds of crazy things to distort the gospel of grace. They were saying things like, hey, you have to be a Christian, you have to be like believe in Jesus, sure, he's great, life, death, the resurrection. Yeah, you gotta believe in Jesus, but there's a plus sign after that. And you also have to uphold the the, ordinances of the law. You have to eat certain foods and not eat other foods according to the law. You have to uh, obey the 613 commandments of the law and even some more that we wanna throw in. And yes, Jesus is great, like by grace through faith, sure, but you gotta do all of these things. And these people were called Judaizers. And the reason they were giving the people of Galatia such a hard time is because they grew up as good Jews. They were circumcised as a baby. They upheld all the food regulations. They upheld the the rules of the Sabbath. And they had done that for years. And then Jesus Christ comes along and they say, okay, Jesus, like we believe you're the son of God. Okay, life, death, and resurrection. Okay, we're into that, Jesus. And and they were all about it. But then they saw these Gentiles, Mm -mm mm-mm-mm, These dirty Gentiles, these heathens, hadn't been circumcised, hadn't followed a Sabbath, a day in their life, they ate whatever they want. And they believed in Jesus by grace through faith, through his life, death, and resurrection. And all of a sudden, like there was no JV and varsity. They were both on the same playing field uh, at the foot of the cross. So some of these Jewish Christians, these Judaizers, they didn't like that. They wanted these Gentile believers to have to experience the same pain and work they had experienced, It's like when you were in grade school and you've studied for that test all year long. You had a tutor, you didn't watch TV, you didn't hang out with your friends, you sacrificed to study for this test. And yeah, you got an A for it, but then this other person, (laughs) I don't know what word I was looking for, um, this person comes along and they just like, they just get an A just because, and you're like, teacher, um, I have a question, more like a comment, more like a criticism. Like they need to do what I did. I've experienced all this pain. They can't just come in here and get an A. They have to experience the pain with me. That's what's happening, right? So these Judaizers are upset and they've infiltrated these Galatians. They traveled all the way from Jerusalem, that's where they were, to the churches in Galatia. And they started teaching a distorted gospel, Jesus plus. You gotta do all these things, Now, Paul, the apostle Paul, he had planted these churches according to the gospel of grace alone, by faith alone, Jesus alone, there's no plus sign for Paul. And yet he had left and these Judaizers came in and they added all these things. And so Paul is writing this letter to refute these Judaizers and to call the Galatians people not to desert the gospel like he talks about in chapter one, but to come back to the gospel, the Jesus alone with no plus sign, right? He wants to anchor them in that. And so what he's gonna do as you see him address this man's gospel, I didn't get it through man, is he's gonna refute these claims of the Judaizers. You see, a big thing the Judaizers were trying to do was as they distorted the gospel, they were trying to discredit Paul. That's how they were doing it. And so Paul is answering back. He's firing back, you could say, at what their claims are to protect his people and the gospel of grace. And he's gonna do that primarily in two key ways. He's gonna do that logically, and he's also gonna do that transformationally. He's gonna show them first logically how what these guys are claiming, these Judaizers, man, it can't even be true. That they're claiming, some, to some effect, we get some clues from the passage. They're claiming that here's how Paul got the gospel. Paul uh, hung out with these guys in Jerusalem, like probably Peter, James, and John, like the pillars of the faith, the guys who had walked with Jesus' apostles. Paul got together with them. They hung out, right? And and they started to compile together this gospel. And and they started to to put it together. And then Paul left there and kind of tweaked it for his own purposes and then started planting churches out of this gospel that he compiled from other men. And what Paul's gonna do, the reason why he gives Arabia and Damascus and Syria and Cilicia, the reason why he gives us all these geographic locales is because he's gonna show them, hey, logically what they are saying cannot be true. So I want to show you on a map just kind of what Paul walks us through. On the map on the left, you have modern-day Turkey. So the lower part, if you look at the lower part uh, close to the coast, that was the region of Galatia, right? Everybody got that? So the churches he's writing to, bottom part of Turkey. This map on the right, you see that bottom part of Turkey. You see that's the churches in Galatia. But then you also see some of the places Paul mentions. You have Syria. You have Damascus. You have Israel. That's where Jerusalem was. And what Paul goes on to say is like, hey, you're thinking and these Judaizers are thinking that I went to Jerusalem after I met Jesus and I hung out with them for a long time. Actually, I only made a brief pit stop there for 15 days. That's what he says but I went to Arabia and the desert. I I went to Syria. I went to Damascus. I actually went to a lot of other places and I was actually nowhere around the apostles, these men that you think I got the gospel from. Everybody tracking with me, right? So he's saying, logically, what you're saying is not even true. And in fact, we see he makes an emphatic statement to say, I actually didn't spend extended time with the apostles till 14 years later. So what you're saying logically isn't true. I didn't get my gospel from man. I got it directly from Jesus. And he gives them a logical argument. You need to know, as you share your story, it is okay to give logical arguments around Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about your transformation. We're going to talk about sharing that too. But it's okay to read your Bible and not have a blind faith, but have a logical faith, right? It's okay to interact with your professors if you're in college or your coworkers at work and interact around a logical faith that we have 66 books of the Bible written by 40 plus authors across three continents. And they did come up with the same message, all pointing to Jesus Christ. There's no other book like that. The Book of Mormon was written by one guy based on a dream. All these other books were written by one guy based on a philosophy or a vision. There's no other book like the Bible. And it's okay to converse with your coworkers and your classmates and talk about that logical faith. If you're thinking, well, Tim, I don't know how to do that. I would invite you to to study the Bible and to know it with your mind as well as receive it with your heart. It's okay to have a logical argument in your story. That's what Paul has. But it's not just a logical argument he talks about a transformational argument. Did you notice? He says, hey, you've heard my story, actually. Paul's story was very well known that, that he was violently, he uses that word, destroying the church of Jesus Christ. And he says, you, you've heard about this. I'm actually pretty well known for this. And he's what he's taking them back to is his conversion in Acts chapter nine. And I want you to see it with your own eyes. So look at the screen with me. Here's Paul's conversion. Here's where Saul became Paul. Acts chapter nine, verses three through six. It says this. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. That's Paul. And suddenly a light of heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I always love this. Look how Paul responds. He says, who are you, Lord? He knows, he knows who it is. And he said to him, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. If you keep on reading, Paul is commissioned and he's baptized. He's commissioned out to see this conversion that he has had happen in other people. And what's interesting is later in Acts chapter nine, he tries to go to Jerusalem to hang with the apostles, but it literally says they were afraid of him. So even further, if you know Paul's conversion at all, this idea that he was tight with the apostles, they didn't like him and they were scared of him because they had seen him do things like hold coats for people who stoned a Stephen, the first Christian martyr. They had seen, had seen him drag men and women through the streets just because they were Christians. And now you got this guy thinking, Jesus loves me, this I know. And they're like, hold on a second player. I don't know you. Like, what are you going to do to us? I've seen what you do to Christians. And so, Paul, even with his transformation story, is showing them listen, the apostles that you said I constructed this gospel with, they're scared of me. They don't even like me. And then on the flip side, he's also saying, hey, do you not know how jacked up I was? Like, I was dragging Christians across the street to prison where they would eventually be beheaded. Do you think I just sat with like clarity of mind one day and said, you know what? I know I was dragging that guy through the street for being a Christian and that alone, but maybe I was wrong. (laughs) After I've had some time to think and meditate, uh, now I wanna become that guy. And Paul's saying, that's insane. You've heard my story in Judaism. You've heard how I was violently destroying the church. And yet now I believe this gospel of grace. And he says, that doesn't happen because of man or through man, but only by a revelation through Jesus Christ. Only happens because I I see the light literally, and I'm never the same. So he, he makes this case that this is God's gospel, it's not mine. And it's powerful, it's logical, it's transformational, Right? He wants the Galatians to know that. He wants the Judaizers to know that too, but he wants these Galatian people to know that. So they anchor themselves in the gospel of grace. So they take out the plus sign. It's just Jesus. Don't get it twisted, right? So here's what, this is Paul's story. What about your story? Right? We need to think through, we're not just getting some cool facts about a guy who lived a long time ago, we wanna see in our lives a similar story. It won't look exactly like Paul's uh, unless you wanna share some, some things afterwards that you were dragging some people through the streets. We will report you to the police, right? And just so you know, like, I mean, Paul wouldn't pass a background check at Phoenix Bible Church. He wouldn't make it on our staff. And yet he wrote two thirds of our New Testament, planted all these churches because he was transformed by the gospel of grace. What about your story? See, what's powerful as we look at Paul's story is that we see that the gospel of Jesus can transform anyone. The gospel of Jesus can transform anyone. Do you know that? Like some of you, you may have a good life in your past, grew up in church, went to all the Sunday school classes, knew all the Bible verses. Well, the gospel can transform you too. Some of you think, man, Tim, I knew some people like that. I read about them in books, but that was not my story. I was full on sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole thing in full rebellion against God. And you're thinking, man, Paul, like he writes down his story for all these people to read it. I would never do that. Like that's the kind of stuff I try to hide from people at church. I'm not putting that on a paper. Some of you like write stuff in your journal and you're like, please do not look at this, right? And and yet, Paul did. Some of you you have that kind of past. The gospel of Jesus Christ can transform your story too. I love how Tim Keller, pastor and author puts it. He says it this way. No one is so good that they don't need the gospel of grace, nor so bad that they can't receive the grace of the gospel. Amen. That's good. That'll preach. Amen. Amen. No one is so good that they can't receive the gospel. Like all of your resume and all of your moralistic behaviors, you're still not too good. Your heart is corrupted by sin and you need the gospel of grace. And if you've given your sin and your self-righteousness to Jesus, he can transform your life and he has if you've done that. But the same is true for our our people on the other side of the aisle who you don't wanna share your past with anybody. You're scared to go to a community group and and they're gonna ask you like about your past. You're like, man, I don't wanna let them know about my divorce and my debt and my destruction and my life and my pride and my gossip and my greed. Like it's just spilling out of me. In fact, you come to church and you leave church quickly to go to lunch because you're scared if you actually step in, people will get to know the real you and the past you and they will be shocked by that. And you need to know as well, if you give Jesus your sin and your life, by grace through faith, he will transform your life too. Or one day, maybe not write it for all of the world, but you can share your story with a a few people and God can use your life, not just transform your life. That's how good the gospel of grace is. Now, I know Paul's story, I mean, before and after, man, it's a clear distinction, right? Right? clear transformation, dragging Christians through the streets, killing them. And now he's proclaiming Christ, one of the most well-known Christians in all of the Bible. And I know some of you are thinking, Tim, but my story's not that exciting. How do I know if I have a transformed life? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm going to give you two things. Here's the first thing. You need to look at your life and assess, have I had a personal encounter with Jesus? Have you had a personal encounter with Jesus? Verses 15 and 16, the language Paul uses is important. He says, God called me by his grace. He revealed his son to me. Grace, son, called, revealed. It's a personal encounter Paul had, right? It's a personal experience. Paul didn't ascribe to a philosophy or a set of morals. Paul, Paul didn't just simply like follow the religious rituals and get in line with everybody else. And as everybody else was coming to take communion, like might as well squeeze in and like participate. It, like that's not Paul's story. In fact, Paul, Paul had a past where he did all the right religious rituals. He was like the quarterback of the Jewish team, right? He was the superstar of religious behavior. Like he was up there. He had done all the right things. That's not what made Paul a transformed man. What transformed Paul's life was an encounter with the son of God by his grace. That's what made him never the same. Have you had that encounter? Not have you grown up in church? Not do your parents believe the gospel? Have you encountered Jesus Christ? And some, some, we get caught up and like, well, do you remember the day? I remember I was growing up in church and we would sing a song. It was on a Monday, I asked to follow Jesus. It was on a Tuesday. Some of you like I have no idea what I'm talking about. And God bless you. <laughs> and as if it was Monday, when you accepted Christ, you stood up and started singing. If it was Tuesday. And I always remember like, what if we don't remember the day? <laughs> I want to stand up, but I don't know. Like what, I don't remember what day it was. I, You you may not remember the day or the hour, but do you remember a season of your life where you encountered Jesus Christ? Not where you followed a list of things, not even where you read the Bible, but do you remember a day, a season, a circumstance where you gave your sin and your life to Jesus and it it put you in a transformed place? Do you remember that? There's some level where you should look at your life over the course of your life and remember that. Not just I was always a Christian. No, no, you're dead in your sin. You were not always a Christian. Don't say that. Was there another point in your life where you went from death to life because you saw who Jesus was, his person and his work for you? Do you remember a time like that? Friends, if you can't remember any season of your life like that, then I would tell you, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm not trying to question your salvation, but I would just tell you, stop listening to me right now. And start talking to Jesus right now and give him your sin and give him your life. And you can encounter him, really encounter him today and have a transformed life. It may not look exactly like Paul's before and after, but it will be powerful because if you encountered him. The second thing we see just in this passage alone, there's way more things we could talk about. But this mark of a transformed life is Christ-like authority and humility. You see this so clearly in Paul's life. Chapter two, verse five, Paul is confronting false teachers, these Judaizers in Jerusalem. He's sharing about this account. He says, we didn't yield to them even for a moment. Paul had this amazing authority that all these people who are trying to take him out, people that have been uh, like know the law, they've been doing all these religious things. They're in Jerusalem. A lot of people know these Judaizers. They think a lot of them. And Paul is saying, no way, like I'm standing my ground. When he went with Titus, I'm standing my ground against these false teachers. Amazing authority. Well, what's a little bit crazy about Titus is Titus was a Gentile, meaning he was an uncircumcised person. And Paul says, hey, Titus, settle up. We're going to Jerusalem where all these people are going to want you to get circumcised. Imagine the fear of Titus. Come on, somebody. Anybody track with me? But like he takes Titus with him. And it says Titus didn't get circumcised because Paul stood up to these people. Amazing authority. But it wasn't just to the false teachers, to the Judaizers. He stood up to the apostles. I, I love this. Several times, did you catch it? He said, those who seem to be influential, those who seem to be pillars of the church. He's talking about like Peter, James and John, those who walked with Jesus, like his core team. And multiple times he says, they seem to be pillars. I don't know. God doesn't show favoritism. do you just love Paul? He's just like, he's already bringing these guys down a notch. Like he stood up to these guys who walked with Jesus, who saw Jesus rise from the dead. And he's saying, hey, I'm not less than them. There's no JV in varsity. Incredible authority. Chapter one, he curses angels. I I was listening to the message version of chapter one. Did you know like the word for accursed? Do you know what they use to soften it? Accursed, because that's the word. You can't stop, like, Paul is cursing angels. It's incredible authority. But then he also has this incredible humility. We see, if you notice the details of the story, and this is why we read it, for 14 years. Do you notice that? For 14 years, it took him 14 years after a quick stop in Jerusalem to eventually go back in Jerusalem and spend significant time with the apostles, 14 years. i think about Paul's story. This radical transformation, killing Christians to becoming one. What would happen today if somebody had that radical story of transformation? Like the Osama bin Laden guy, killing Christians, comes to be a Christian. Let me just tell you, as a pastor, because I know how this works, we're putting that guy on a stage. Amen? Like we're putting him on the speaking circuit, like, man, do your thing, let people know. Like right off the bat, what'd Paul do? 14 years in the desert. In Damascus, he he didn't spend any significant time in Jerusalem for 14 years. He just learned, meditated on the grace of Jesus Christ. Incredible humility. So how how do you know you have a transformed life? There's lots of things. Just in this passage we see from Paul, he encountered Jesus Christ. He had Christ-like authority and humility. See, here's how you know if you don't have a transformed life. Your authority comes when you're doing well. Like when you've attended church eight Sundays in a row, I have authority. I'm gonna tell people about my life. Like here's how I'm dating my wife. Here's how I'm spending time with God. Here's how I'm praying and fasting. How could you not do that when you're doing well? And then you sin and you have some lust that pops up that you thought you were kind of over or some pride that is reflected in your relationships with other people. What happens to your authority then? You're not saying anything. You're sitting at the back of the church, right? Right? because that's how authority rises and falls when it's based on your achievement. The transformed life in Jesus Christ, it is different. You have a consistent authority because it's not your authority, it's the authority of Jesus Christ. But you also have this amazing humility because you know who you are. You know what Jesus has saved you from. You're in tune with your past, good or bad. You know your sin, you know your self righteousness, you know your shame. And you know Jesus has saved you from that. So you have a humility about yourself in addition to your authority. That only happens with a life transformed by Jesus Christ. Right? We see it in Galatians 1:10. We read it last week. Paul talks about he's a servant of Jesus Christ. How do you have this authority and humility? Christ-like authority and humility. You're a servant, you're humble but you're a servant of Jesus Christ, that's authority. How do you know you have a life transformed by Jesus Christ? You're a servant of Jesus Christ. Whether you have the same story as Paul or not, and that's how you know, do I have a transformed life in Jesus? First, let me just tell you, my life, it has some good, it has some bad, but God transformed my life. I'm not up here because I went to seminary, it was helpful but that's not why I'm up here preaching to you. I I, I was in college and I had some good parts of my life. I grew up going to church Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday night, all those kinds of things. I knew all the Bible verses, but man, my heart was wicked and far from God. And eventually it wasn't just my heart, it was my hands. When I started to pursue meaning and pleasure and everything you can imagine. And this one guy took me by the side and he said a cuss word which endeared himself to me. That's just where I was, can I confess that to you? but he also took me to the Bible. And we actually read the book of Galatians and he put it in a red binder for me. And he talked about like my religiosity growing up and said, hey, it's not that, it's this, it's grace. And we just marked up the book of Galatians. This is why I want you to mark up your journal of Galatians because it can change your life. It changed my life, it changed my story. It transformed every part of me. And now I'm teaching you Galatians because that's what I want for your life. Do you have that kind of transformed life? Friends, that's what's gonna change our world. It's not a policy. It's not a list. It's a transformed life that you can clearly show in authority and humility as Jesus Christ and by his grace alone. That will transform your life. That will transform our church. That will transform a city. That will transform our world. Amen? We're gonna end today by taking communion because we're gonna remind ourselves how we're transformed. We're gonna make it clear as we take the bread, as we take the juice and the wine, we're gonna remember that only Jesus transforms our lives. Let me pray and then we'll set up communion. Father in heaven, God, I thank you for the transformation that we have in Jesus. God, I pray for these men and women, uh, the ones that are in the room, maybe even the ones that are watching online, that, that they would just take a moment to assess their life the the good deeds, the bad deeds, the ones that nobody even knows about. And they would just honestly ask, have I encountered Jesus Christ? Not have I come to church, not have I joined the right group and affiliation, but have I encountered Jesus Christ? And I just pray right now, God, by the power of your spirit, that you you would encounter them. That they would stop listening to me, they would start talking to you and they would give you their sin and give you their life. What an amazing moment that would be if for a moment that's what happened and then they got to come and take communion for the very first time as a transformed believer in Christ. God, that's our prayer. That's our hope. And God, I pray as as others look and say, no, I've experienced transformation of Jesus. I have given my sin and my life to him. I've encountered him but they're not walking with the authority and humility of Christ. God, as they take the bread and the juice and the wine, they would just be reminded of your authority and your humility on their behalf. It's not something that they have to muster up or play a game and impress other people, but it comes directly from you. And as we look at the cross and think about your blood and think about your body, God, may that fall afresh on us. And may we be a a collective group of believers in Christ who have been transformed by Jesus and it's clear to our community and it's clear to our friends and it's clear to our city. Now that's my prayer for Phoenix Bible Church. We pray that in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.